Welcome to A Better Way with Real Estate, a podcast series hosted by real estate investor, Brian O'Neill. During each episode, we'll give practical advice for individuals and families navigating the many hurdles in the home buying and selling process. There is a better way with real estate that supports the goals and needs of your family, and we're here to help. Listen along as we help families like yours, one home at a time. Everyone, uh, welcome back to another edition of A Better Way with Real Estate. Today, we are going to be talking about some cool stuff uh, with Mitch Beinhacker is our guest today. Uh, he's a business attorney. Uh, he helps business owners. And he's also uh, a podcast host. Um, yeah. He's uh, the accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. Uh, Mitch, welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate having me. And, and you promised me, I think you're booked, right? You're going to be on my show too. So we'll, we'll have you on ours. Uh, I'm well. on looking, looking forward to it. So nice. uh, let's, uh, let's maybe peel back the onion a little bit. Uh, maybe go a little bit, a little bit back in time. Tell us how you got involved in, uh, in, in law and, and why you maybe chose this, this specific uh, niche. Okay. I can answer that a couple of different ways. Well, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I think I got involved in law because my grandmother just kept prodding me until I broke down at the end of college, didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I was interested in business. I was interested in all different kinds of stuff. And I always felt that a, a law background was a, you know, was a good thing. Uh, and I was probably drunk with a friend at a fraternity house. And he said, let's go to law school. And I said, okay. And then we sobered up and I don't think he went. I think he actually went into, he's a big real estate executive now in New York City. He went yeah. into real estate and I said, well, I'm still going to go to law school. So I think that's really kind of where it came from. Um, <laughs> but I've always been, you know, obviously always been interested in the law and real estate and business and how it all kind of fits together. Um, my father has been in the life insurance and planning business since, I don't know, 1965. Mm-hmm. So I kind of grew up around that business, um, using financial products in the planning process and all that stuff and estate planning. So I kind of, it kind of fit. Um, so, you know, I applied and I found a school that would take me, give me money. That was kind of important. My dad had to send my sister to college at that point. And, um, yeah, so, you know, through law school, I kind of found that surprisingly I was interested in, I I really liked the, the tax classes, especially the estate planning classes, uh, and the tax planning classes that would, you know, help you not avoid taxes, but minimize taxes and the strategies that went with it. I got very interested in what my dad did in his industry. So I would go with him to national meetings and I would meet all these guys who do all this kind of sophisticated planning. So I was kind of surprised because I think when you're younger, you're like, oh, you're going to like income tax and taxes. And people are like, when the yuck, I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to so, say anything. <laughs> yeah. So, so it just kind of came together. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I've worked for several insurance companies and financial institutions, uh, both, both like kind of on the street, like retail and also mm-hmm. in home offices. In different parts, I lived in Columbus, Ohio for a couple of years doing stuff, traveling around, doing planning and stuff. Then when, uh, I guess in about 01 or something like that, it was on 9-11 because I remember we moved to this new building and it was happened when the towers fell. I started my own law practice. I was really just in-house at that point and I was doing a lot of insurance planning and a lot of working with different agents and I had all these guys working with me. So one thing led to another. I, I was general counsel kind of to a local insurance brokerage agency. These guys would walk in my office. Hey, can you do a will for this guy? Can you do a business agreement for this guy? Can you form this company that this guy's selling his, his business to somebody? Can you handle it? And I got you know so busy that I just kind of gave up the other stuff, gave up the, the job and you know went full-time into law because I, I knew all these guys. I kind of had a natural market to network with. 
And, and I, you know, I enjoy doing that. I like working with small business owners, helping them start companies, put them together, sell them. I got, you know, business owner clients of mine that are always buying other businesses as either compliments to what they're doing and growing their business or a different business. And then one day, I think I was with a buddy of mine who was really taught me how to network. So I didn't know the difference between networking and prospecting, but, you know, you learn. He was in the title business. So I had in New Jersey, at least, um, the attorneys are still doing closing work. I don't know if that's going to last, but we're, yeah. maybe another five, 10 years, attorneys will be totally out of it. And um, I had a couple of uh, guys I know that were buying properties, two family homes, and things like that. And then people were selling their houses. So I figured, you know, everybody's making money doing this stuff. So I went to my friend, Bruno, and I said, Bruno, teach me the closing bit. How do I close a property? And he took me through it, soup to nuts. Um, And I started doing that, uh, you know, residential closings. Then I started doing commercial work, which is better because more hourly kind of regular work. And, you know, just kind of developed uh, a clientele from there. And, you know, now we're 29, pushing on 30 years later. Uh, where I've been doing it, the market's obviously changed. But um, there's not a lot of guys around though that do, at least in my area, that do small business work, can still do the estate planning that kind of is important to the business owner, and also handle their real estate. You know, whether they're leasing, buying, you know, it always affects their business. So it's kind of a good combination that I kind of fell into. Definitely. Now it sounds like you're and and all in one for the for the small business owner from the from the legal for side. the except for litigating, but I'll bring a litigator in if I can't negotiate settle any problems they have. So got it, got it. So I, I mean, is that kind of your niche? The small the small business yeah, owners? small businesses, family owned businesses, partnered businesses, you know, multi partners, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I do a lot of entrepreneurship, a lot of uh, work with founders and startups. And I work with a fair amount of, I mean, I consider them entrepreneurs too, but a lot of real estate investors. Some of them are business mm-hmm. owners that are dabbling in real estate. They're buying a home, they're buying this, they're buying, and, and I get them set up from a liability standpoint to have the right documents they need, to have the right entity structures they need so they don't wake up one day with uh, you know, a surprise. You know, Which dong, eventually will happen, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, people, that's what happens in the real estate business. People fall, they get hurt, and they sue you. But if you're set up right, Insurance company kicks in. You don't have to worry about it. You know. So I'm a business owner, I'm a small business owner. I come to you. Like, what are some of the first things that we're that we're talking about? Like, what are the what are the most important things to kind of handle up front? Well, um, first of all, we want to make sure that you're either incorporated or have an LLC. It's really mm-hmm. there's really no reason why anybody should be doing business as a sole proprietor these days. You have no protection, or even a partnership. You really don't have any protection. Right. Um, you and I both know with limited partnerships, sometimes we're using it for real estate deals, but for business operating businesses, not a good way to go. So LLC is more the choice these days than S corps, mm-hmm. but you certainly want one or the other. So if a guy comes to me, he's operating, he's already set up. Then I want to see what his, what I call his organizational documents and his operating documents look like. Um, you know, does he have bylaws? Does he have an operating agreement? Does he deal with clients and customers with contracts? You know, some of these people are like, yeah, you know, I remember when we set this up, I got a certificate somewhere and they can't even find this stuff. Um, I've done closings for families that are selling businesses, you know, generations later. And they can't find any of the corporate paperwork. And some of the old stuff's not even online anymore. So, yeah, you know, they don't go back that far. So you have to recreate it and sign resolutions that we agree this was what it looked like. You know, so a lot of that stuff, if you get sued and I mentioned I don't litigate, but if you get sued, the first thing a good attorney is going to do in a business situation is see 
if he can nail you personally outside of the corporate veil for something you did that wasn't under the proper auspices of the company. So, you, you know, I want to make sure that that's all. And once we get them all worked up and good, mm-hmm. then it's the kind of thing where they can operate properly going forward. Maybe they don't even have a business plan. Sometimes I, you know, I help them with that kind of stuff. Oh, that's great. Can you maybe expand a little bit on the corporate veil piece? I mean, because sure, you know, sure. Yeah, so, what that looks like. Yeah. So, if you have um, a corporation, mm-hmm. and then uh, about 15, 20 years ago, they created a, something called a limited liability company, which is kind of like gives all the benefit of the partnership and all the protections of corporations. S corporations have some limitations that you can't, you, you can traps you can run into. But for the most part, it's an entity that has its own tax ID number that's different from you. Okay, so if the LLC is out there and you're act, acting on behalf of the company, corporation, LLC, you're protected personally from the debts and obligations of that company, okay? With a couple of exceptions. One is if you go get a bank loan, they're probably gonna ask you to sign personally, but that's why they do that. They ask you to sign a personal guarantee because they know that if the company goes belly up, there's nothing to collect, right? right. Now, sometimes you don't have to sign personally if it's a real estate deal. If there's if there's a lot of equity in the deal, you might be able to get away with it if you've been mm-hmm. in business for a while sometimes. Obviously, if you're the president of IBM, you're not signing for a personal guarantee because the corporation's publicly traded. There's plenty of equity there. You don't have a problem. The second is fraud, obviously. So if you commit fraud, you can't then hide behind your company and say, I'm not personally liable. No. This is what my company did. But that's so so what a good attorney is going to do is they're going to look to what we call pierce the corporate veil, mm-hmm. right? The protection of the corporation to get to you personally, get to your assets. He's going to look to see, have you commingled funds and used the business account basically for your personal piggy bank? Did you, Have you been operating as a corporation and holding yourself out that way with uh, uh, you know, documents and, and uh, agreements between customers and how you operate? And a lot of people, they operate their companies kind of loosey-goosey. They set up an LLC. And they're just off and running and their bank accounts, it's all the same. And then maybe they don't even set up a company bank account. And then, they, you know, they get tagged by a, by a good attorney looking to really make money. I mean, that's what it comes down to. All right. That's what you said. They're attorney out there looking for that. So yeah, of um, it's important to, to be set up the right way. I, what uh, Not to put you on the spot here, but, no. you know, your new clients, how many of them have that in place from the get-go or do the you have to ones? correct it? Yeah, yeah. Do you have to, the newer I, ones or do you have to correct that? I, I think it's 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 very rare that everything is perfect. Yeah. You know, they, they might have the LLC, but they don't have any documents. They might be operating as a company, but they're not following any of the rules. The, the One of the things with an LLC versus a corporation is that an LLC, it follows the rules of its own operating agreement. So if you don't have one, first of all, then it begs the question what the rules are. Yeah, and if you're, and if it's not just you, so you don't necessarily need an agreement with yourself. But if it's you and me, Brian, and we have two other partners, there's four of us. If we don't have an operating agreement, wait till there's a disagreement, an argument. One guy wants to leave, he wants his money out, whatever. You're gonna have a problem, and a lot of times, what happens is you go to court and you're screaming and yelling, and the judge doesn't know what to do. He just partitions the company, says, "Here's all the assets. We're splitting them up. We're selling everything. You guys are done." And that might not be the result you want. With a corporation, a corporation is subject to the rule, the laws that form corporations. So there's certain formalities you have to follow, right? If you're if you're bringing in a new partner, you're making a purchase, whatever. You should have minutes that said we authorize this and and resolutions and things like that. You'd be surprised how many corporations I take over, and the plastic is still around the binder that they got from 
and usually not from an attorney. The attorneys won't do that, but they might get it online. They get it right. through legal zoom or which, you know, makes my hair stand up on my neck, but <laughs> you know, that that's what happens. And, and they, they're like, yeah, I think they're dusting this thing off and inside it's all blank stuff. No yeah. certificates have been issued. There's no stock transfer ledger. There's no, you know, there's no nothing. Or, or sometimes I open it up, there's copies of, of certificates. You can't find the originals. Yeah. You know, who's, who's Joe and Bill? Oh, that was my uncle and my dad. Well, where are they? Oh, they died. Well, you know, they still own your company. Oh, is that a problem? Yeah, a little bit, you know. A little bit. So, you know, again, it's like mortgages showing up on title when you're, when you know they've been paid off in 1927. And you can't, you got to, I just had to find a guy who's died and I had to find his son somewhere because I'm selling a business. And the guy had held paper for a very short period of time. But as you know, I don't know what, where are you located, Brian? Chicago. Okay, so I don't know about Illinois, but in New Jersey, it used to be that if you paid off a mortgage, I know we're kind of running around, but no, whatever. No, good. This it's is good. fun, right? Yeah. When you paid off a mortgage in the old days, you would have to file a discharge. You would have to file the paid off mortgage and have a discharge of record. Well, who knew how to do that? You'd have to go to your lawyer. Everybody assumed in those days, everybody has a lawyer. So you take it to your lawyer and he discharges it. So you've, you, know, you find these things in Illinois of record. So I had a business owner who owned property and a business. He's selling it. Sure enough, it comes up on title that there's a mortgage still of record from like the 80s. Well, this guy's long dead and buried. So if it wasn't for social media, we probably wouldn't have been able to find the kids. And I found the son who was the executor of the estate and he was able to sign and we we were able to get a discharge. But it it took leaving phone calls, sending messages, trying people through LinkedIn who had similar names. Are you this guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was in another state and we, we managed to get it done. But now in New Jersey, at least, the bank has to file the discharge, but this was a private mortgage anyway. So nobody mm-hmm. was going to, nobody was going to file this thing unless an attorney did it. Yeah. Well, the internet's good for something, I guess. Fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, now everything's <laughs> online. It's much more automated. So it's a lot easier. Well, that's what you had said about, you know, you can, it's you, you could file, you could file a LLC right on the internet. Oh, 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And there's no gold seals anymore. I go to some older banks and they're like, well, we would like to see the certificate with the gold seal. I go, well, that's going to be difficult. They don't issue those anymore. No, no. Yeah, they don't believe me. So. So the message is do it the right way up front. Yeah, don't, I mean, don't look, take the shortcuts, right? It's not fun. And a lot of people, like we're all entrepreneurs, we're all right brain, right? We're all excited about doing our mm. latest thing, fixing up our house, doing our logo, put whatever we're doing, it's exciting. But you don't want to be the guy who somebody trips on your property and you didn't put it into an LLC and you haven't been following any kind of formalities. And, you know, and maybe you don't even have adequate insurance. Mm-hmm. And you're stuck now, and you can't fix it. So you just got to take care of your house. I mean, if if it's a real business, if you're doing it to make money, you got to follow some rules. You know, that's what you got to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't take the shortcuts. I think that's what you said. You mentioned the right brain, the creative side, um, and then you know we, we we tend to take our shortcuts as business owners uh, on the legal side, and maybe even the, the accounting side because it's right. not. And fun. we read it's stuff on the internet that's probably not accurate that says you know you can do this and you can do that and you can take this deduction and that and you don't need these agreements and you can pull down this again. People pull agreements offline, and I could tell when I read them. Yeah, I'm just like, where you, you didn't get this from a lawyer? I don't know. I don't remember how I got it. Well, I know how I got it. He found it online and he downloaded it. There's all kinds of documents. But I do that too sometimes. If I'm looking for a particular clause, I want to see language. Yeah. But I know what I'm reading. So it's a little different. Yeah. You 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 you've been at this a bit and you yeah, went right. to school a long time. Yeah, so. A lot of agreements, you know. Let's talk a little about about estate planning. It's a big part of sure. what you do with these business owners. So yeah. I mean, what what I guess the first question is, because I'm I'm guilty of it. 
I put it off for a long time. Right. So I just didn't pay any attention to it. I finally got my act together and, and did it. But I mean, why is it important? And how do we get how do we get started with that? I mean, what what are some of the things that you help your clients with in that regard? Yeah, I think it's a very commonly overlooked thing. We think about wills and estate planning for when we get older, but you know, if you're if you're out there, you have your own business, you own real estate assets, so maybe you have a couple of different entities, and you and you you need to coordinate that with your will, and especially if you have a partner, right? All your it all needs to be coordinated because yeah. there's going to be conflicts between the will and the business agreement. The business agreement is going to control if it's not what you intend. Right, you have to do it. If you if you don't have a will in a lot of states, the judge is going to make you post a bond, and it's going to be equal to the value of the estate, which is like half a percent or something. So it's expensive, and you're forced to do all that kind of stuff if you don't take the time to have a will. So if you you know look if you're if you have a corporate job and you go nine to five and you you know you know just put money in your IRA and your whatever, you could have a simple will maybe. If you had beneficiaries on all of your accounts, that's all you had, and the whole world probably would work. It would go to your spouse or whatever. But I rarely see situations like that. And it makes it harder on survivors to deal with the states. It makes it more costly when there's no will in place or the will wasn't properly reviewed. I had a guy I was working with, uh, two boys and, and the father. Father was older, had weight problems, diabetes problems. We were helping the boys with the business. They had, I forget what kind of a business it was, but they were in the business and dad was older. So we, I helped them with their wills for their families. One was, had gotten divorced. The other one had a lawsuit going on and he was settling the lawsuit. And we needed to get to the dad because he still owned part of the business. He was being difficult. He also had health problems. It was hard to get to him. He dies before we were able to redo the estate. And the son who was settling the, his lawsuit, which the claim was like $800,000. I don't think he owed that much, but that was what the claim was. He had settled it for like 150. Well, when the creditor heard that the dad died and the money was coming to him, a good portion of it, they canceled the settlement. Went to wait and see what he got. And he had to pay him more money. I think he had to pay him six, five, six hundred thousand dollars. But we would have planned things differently if uh if we if we had the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah. So don't yeah. wait. Don't wait. I waited and you know, when I ended up doing it, it wasn't that big a deal. No, you it's know, not that big of a deal. The attorney handles most of it. You, the heart, I'll tell you one of the, the reasons. People don't do wills because they can't decide on the guardians for their children. Mm. They can't decide, you know, they're arguing about it. They can't decide who's going to be other parties in, in the will. Um, or unfortunately, they don't want to spend the money. But it's, you know, you're talking a couple of thousand dollars to protect your family. It's not. Right. Versus what you said, like, if yeah. you don't have it, then no, it's. It'll cost you ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. In New <clears> Jersey, we have a simple probate process. Yeah, I don't know about Illinois, but New York, Florida, California cost you fifty hundred grand. Right. So if you it, 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 that avoids that, you know, a living will and trust avoids that estate plan. Correct. If you do it, if you do it, I mean, the biggest hassle for me. I mean, I, I joke about this. It was just going to the bank and you know funding the the, the the plans. You know, changing the beneficiaries on the right on the account so that there's exactly. good returns. Said this is this is meaningless if you don't put any money in it. Right. So. It's true. Now in now in Illinois, like a lot of states, they often have a will, a pour over will with a trust, and you set up a revocable trust, which we're right. talking about retitle assets. We don't do that as much in New Jersey because the mm -hmm. probate process is pretty simplified. Um, but it's a common, you know, thing you do in New Jersey because that avoids a lot of the probate. 
Got so, it. Which is yeah. something you want to you want to do. Well, I mean, you even, know, even in New Jersey, it can tie up assets. So it's not may not be costly, but your your wife or your kids can't get to the money because it's tied up and it's got to get through probate. So exactly, I see that a lot with houses, uh, especially yeah. people who own homes that are um, you know don't have a mortgage on. You know, right. and, the, and the and the parents die. They live in the house for you know forty years, and there's no uh, there it, it's in probate, and then you have to deal with four or five siblings, and they can't agree and Yep. It's just and a mess. waivers from the tax division. Right now, I have, I have an estate right now where they weren't husband and wife. That's why there was inheritance taxes. She was a uh, girlfriend, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had to sell her house. She's moving with her mom, whatever. They had to hold an escrow because we can't get an inheritance tax waiver because of COVID. It took me like 14 months to get an examiner appointed to the estate because nobody was working. And then finally, I got her appointed. She came back with a whole list of stuff. I'm not even sure why it applies. Now I'm trying to figure out and get her money back because it's held in escrow to get this mm-hmm. waiver. If it wasn't for COVID. This thing would have been done a year and a half ago. Right. Do you, how has COVID impacted your business now that we're on that? Um, I think I was listening to a show you were on that you're, you're, you're kind of doing a lot of things virtual or mostly. Well, it's impacted my practice. Yeah. And that way I can, mm-hmm. I generally meet people online um, unless they have to sign documents, you know, things like that. They'll come by the office or whatever. But even then I have a mobile notary if I have to use. Um, sometimes I do packages where I'll send it out and they can do the signing themselves, save themselves some money. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you one way it's impacted for, cl- for clients I've had to deal with the state of New Jersey on their behalf. I've had problems with the Department of Labor, the Division of Taxation, the surrogates offices. Surrogates have gotten a lot better because nobody was in. Yeah. You know, they were on these split shifts. I had, I had a DOL issue where I think I went through five different people, three of them retired, like in the middle of the whole process. And I didn't know it. Like they didn't like send me a note, say, Hey Mitch, I just want you to know I'm retiring. And this guy's going to take over. No, <laughs> I had to find the new guy and then talk to him. I go, what happened to Frank? Oh, Frank retired in August. I go, it's October. Yeah, I know. But I got 1400 things on my desk, you know, cause he comes in with 200 emails and files on his desk. So so in some cases, it, it worked to my client's benefit because I was able to settle things that they probably couldn't have settled when it, when they had a lot more free time. Yeah, yeah, they just want to get it off their desk. And in some cases, it really hurt. It really hurt them. But definitely, the pandemic has made it easier for me to operate from a virtual standpoint. We would have never met, probably. No, no, I I, I agree totally. Yeah. So it's 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 definitely changed the world. I mean, to the last, I, we're coming up on two years now, which is yeah. Crazy. I can't believe I just said that out loud. Yeah, that's um, crazy. I yeah. wasn't doing podcasting on Zoom. I don't know if you were. I had like a long table. I had people come to my office. I have two of these things and we would talk. I didn't even yeah. have video in those days. And then I went and I was in a closet all of a sudden. I'm like, what am I? Well, I'm going to die in here. I got to find people. I found out about Zoom and I got online, started talking to people and I started interviewing people all over the world. I had no idea what Zoom was until <laughs> right before the pandemic, yeah. you know, the, Right before it. So I, cause I yeah. did everything and we did everything in person. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other topic I wanted to chat about was, and again, you know, you and I, you and I know this, but I think a lot of people don't is the, the 1031 exchange. And this relates to a lot of the business owners that you work with. If you could just, sure. you know, number one, what is it? Yeah. And you know, how do you, how do you help uh, business owners with the 1031 exchange? Yeah. And that's probably the one thing I do outside of New Jersey. I do federal tax planning as long as they have local counsel. Um, So 1031, as you and I both know, is a provision of the tax code that allows a real estate investor. This does not apply to residential homes, applies to investment grade property, right? So you four family home, two family home, office building, apartment building, whatever. 
where you can basically transfer the basis and all the money into the new building as long as they're kind of like kind, which is a broad definition. So you go from an office building to an apartment building, whatever, but you can. So basically you take all the money and all the capital gains money and you roll it into or transfer it into this new building. So now you have new, you know, the same basis he carried over. The reason you might do that, because maybe you had your building and depreciated it over the years, you have no cost basis. Now you're going to pay a huge tax. You're going to buy another building anyway. So you want to use that capital gains money to allow you to buy, and you can buy a bigger building. You can get a mortgage and add to the to the proceeds, but mm-hmm. it allows you to to avoid the, to defer. Let's not say avoid to defer the tax until the day in which you cash out. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's all kinds of fancy techniques, some of which work, some of which may not work to eliminate the tax. But for the most right, part, right, you're just rolling over till the end where you're, you know, you may uh, now under the way the rules work now. If you rolled it, rolled it, rolled it, and then died owning it there would be a step up in basis and your kids wouldn't pay any tax when they sold the, uh, the building. Now right. that's on the chopping block right now, all the, the different taxes, tax law changes, but there used to be an estate tax. So you didn't want to own the building for estate tax purposes, but you wanted to own it for capital gains. Now, not much of an estate tax, but that may roll back scheduled to roll back. We'll see what happens with the, with the Biden administration and what comes out of the house and ways and means committee. We will see what happens there. So how do you, how do you help your clients ex- execute? Like what's your involvement there? I mean, you obviously are guiding into the process, but is from an execution standpoint, like how, for what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah. For 1031s. Yeah. So 1031s in order to do a 1031 exchange, you have to have a qualified intermediary. I work with a group out of California actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that holds the money. It's the escrow agent. So you're not allowed to take that money and stick it in the bank and wait to buy your own building. You have to give it to somebody who's qualified. They hold the money and you have a certain period of time to identify a new property and to close on a new property. Mm-hmm. I handle the closing. I, I help them with the, the 1031, make sure the paperwork's proper because there's a lot of paperwork you got to do with the qualified intermediary, make sure the funds are transferred. And then when we're ready with the new building, contact QI and get it done. So I represent the client and the QI is the person who handles the funds the funds for them. What is that identification uh, time period to it's, identify uh, I the I think you property? have 45 days to pick a property or mm-hmm. multiple properties and 180 days to close. Yeah, it's not a it's not a long time. So you do no. have to you do have to move on time. it. You do for definitely. sure. I would I would actually start looking before you close on the first property. But, but see one of the problems is that you could look at properties, identify properties. By the time you close they're gone with the way the market is right now. Right now. But look at the end of the day if you try it and it doesn't work, there's no penalty for breaking it. I mean, you might pay a fee to the QI. Mm-hmm. Maybe they charge six or 800 bucks for their work, but there's no extra penalty. You pay the tax on the money. Right. Like, like you would have if you just sold the building. There's um, no reason there's to also, panic. Yeah, are you familiar with Delaware Statutory Trust? Uh, I, you know, I've always wondered, I think I've always wondered why a lot of corporations outside of Delaware are Delaware corporations. So maybe is that what you're referring to? No, no, I'm okay. referring, we could talk about that too. Um, All right. <laughs> I'm referring to um, if you can't if you can't exchange a property mm-hmm. or you don't want to find a property or you have no idea what you're going to find, there are companies that have these Delaware statutory trusts that are almost like mutual funds for 1031 exchanges, and you can exchange the property into the fund. There's holding periods; you can't liquidate them right away. It's yeah. it is higher costs, but you know you still may get seven eight percent on your money, and you're able to defer your tax until later on. Okay. And I didn't know that existed. And that's federal. You can do that. Federal. Yep. Okay. Got it. Yep. But it's a Delaware thing. Yeah. 
Delaware yes. seems to have some. They created the trust. Yeah, they do okay. a lot of. There's a lot of, uh, you know, favorable trust in Delaware. Obviously, core. You know, it's funny nowadays. A lot of people say to me, "Well, I, maybe we should incorporate in Delaware." Unless you're dealing like with foreign entities or multi states, probably doesn't matter that much. Just incorporate in the state in which you're located. Don't add extra jurisdictions. Yeah, I always used to want the, one of the companies I work with it was in Texas, and there it was a Delaware corporation. I'm like, were they a big company or? It's a big company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's why because okay. Delaware is very favorable to corporations if you've got bankruptcy issues or creditor issues. Now there are some entities specifically for real estate. Are you familiar with the Series LLC? I am. Okay, so Delaware has one. I think Nevada might have one, and maybe Alaska or Oklahoma, mm-hmm. something like that. They don't have them in New Jersey, so. If I have a guy who's looking to develop a real estate portfolio and specifically, and we can do it with other assets, mm-hmm. it allows you to set up like a holding company, as you know, and different series. So they're all separated for liability purposes, a much easier way to manage your assets. Um, I had a guy who had like 13 properties and his, his, the attorney before me said, well, we should set up corporations for all these. It was like 40 grand worth of work. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we could do the Delaware LLC. And then, and ever since then, it's made his life so much easier. But it isn't in New Jersey. So we have the Delaware entity. It's filed doing business in New Jersey. It's got to pay some extra fees to New Jersey, to Delaware. You know. So the, go, go do you there. do you recommend the series LLC? I or? like the series LLC, especially for real estate. Yeah. Okay. You know, if if you're gonna be if you're gonna buy multiple properties and you may be buying and selling, it's just much easier. You don't have to shut down the LLC, do one tax ID, you just gotta keep separate books and records. Separate books and records, but it's one LLC versus, yeah. you know, if you have 13 properties, you get 13. Exactly. You could potentially have 13 LLCs if you want like the maximum protection. Yeah, right. You yeah. could have separate entities. Then you got separate filings and tax returns. It's crazy. And right. then in quick you're doing like in QuickBooks, for example, just subcategorize. So you call it. 123 Main Street and put a call in and all the expenses that go in and income goes to Main Street. Mm-hmm. And you know, and uh, and you know, one, two, three college Ave and all the expenses that go to that one. And and then you can run separate reports and keep separate books and records. Oh, that's uh that that certainly makes sense. What yeah. um well, let's talk about your podcast a little bit. I sure. mean, uh, yeah, I mean you you kind of have a wide variety of guests on there. I mean, talk about like the premise of the show. Um, you know, I know it's entrepreneurial based, it's uh, yeah. accidental entrepreneur. So what, what kind of, what was the motivation behind that or the inspiration behind that? Well, the inspiration was I listened to a lot of podcasts. So, mm-hmm. uh, one day I was probably watching a video from Pat Flynn or something. And it said, you can start a podcast for 75 bucks. I'm like, <laughs> don't you need like a studio and like, you know, like key grips and my, you know, that's key stuff. grips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like those big boom mics, you know, they hold over your head so you can't see them. Yeah. So I yeah. think, I don't know. I'm not into that stuff. So I bought the, I bought the seven dollars worth of equipment. I took the list. Mm-hmm. It sounded terrible. If you listen to the early days, you can hear the, I figured out ways to clean up the audio, but now it's, I have better stuff. But even this stuff's only what, three, 500 bucks. Right. Total. So, you know, everybody's got to kind of do content right? Marketing for their mm-hmm. business, for their practice, whatever. So I felt, okay, I'm going to do podcasting and we'll do other things that go along with it. So I started to do the podcast and we're going to do something on legal. I had some partners in those days, but somebody said, oh, that's really boring. So I'm like, really? is It's really helpful. I go, yeah, but nobody wants to listen to helpful. They want to listen to interesting. So I, I decided that I was going to, okay, let me interview some entrepreneurs. Let me talk to some people with business backgrounds, people that know how to network. So I called a buddy of mine, um, Jack Killian, who sadly enough, just passed away suddenly on Friday. Oh, he was my sorry. first guest and he came back from my hundredth show. He's like, 
I guess mid eighties, but I've probably known him for 10 or 15 years. And it's really kind of hard for the whole community up here because he knows everybody. He's networked with everybody. Mm-hmm. He'll meet with you and start coming up with ideas, how to help your business. And what did you think about this and that? Written a couple of books. He was working on a third. So I had him on my podcast and we spent two and a half hours together. I made it into two episodes because I thought it'd be too long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, telling his whole life story. Right. You know, back to when his dad suddenly died. He had to take his dad coming. He had three other companies going at the same time. He had to operate them all. He was involved with starting Rolling Stone magazine. And he told me cr- the crazy stories that I never knew about him, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm glad I got the opportunity to know. It even turned out he went to my high school. Now, of course, it was probably 20 years before I was there, but yeah. he and his wife met there. Um, you know, I feel bad for Judy and they, and they, they were still together. He just had a grandchild recently and that's so I, so I had him in there and he's obviously, ironically, he's 85 years old. He's the one who introduced me to zoom. Like he's not very technologically literate, but I never heard of it. So he came on. So we, so after the talk, Mm -hmm. I said, Jack, this is great. I mean, he said, well, you're really good at this. I said, well, you told most of the story. I didn't do anything. That's what I decided to do. So I, I forget what happened. I, I looked, something happened where I, I would get calls from clients all the time. It'd say, Mitch, you know, remember I started that business, laundromat or whatever. I got to close it. And I'm like, well, didn't you open it like four months ago? And they're like, yeah, well, we didn't plan on this and it would cost too much this. And there was too much water. We had a problem with the building, whatever. I said, well, let's at least take a look at your business plan. And, you know, you have a good concept. Maybe we can salvage it. Oh, I don't have a business plan. What? And, and they're all doing this stuff. So yeah, I came up with the concept of the accident entrepreneur that, you know, you got to do things with intention to increase your chances of success. So then I started bringing on guys like Jack and all these other people to share their knowledge and share the things that they screwed up and the things that they later did right. And hopefully, you know, you'll increase yeah. your chances of success. Somebody told me recently that it's maybe it was even you. I don't know that it's more like making the small mistakes is fine. They can live with those because you can always, it's the big ones you kind of want to avoid and learn from people. And I've met so many fantastic people along, you know, along the way. We're coming up on the 200th episode will be out in early January. I just think I just recorded it. Okay. And I've met some crazy people. And I, I think I want to do like a coffee table book or something, you know, like, Less, you know, lessons learned. My first hundred guests, or something like that. But it's a big, big undertaking. Yeah, and since nobody's paying me to do it. I don't, I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to be able to put it together. Are you? But doing I will a be book? doing an episode for Jack and his memory, and talking about all the stuff that everybody's learned from him, and hopefully, I'll get some guests to come on. But that's uh, great. Yeah. That's great to an episode. That's a big deal. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a must listen. Are you doing? Are you writing a book? Did you hear you say you're writing a book, or are you were you just kind of? I, well, I am it? writing a book actually for business owners. It's called um, oh, cool. 10 ways to get sued by anyone and everyone." Um, ten. <laughs> <laughs> so my is my it only Barry, ten? <laughs> it's only ten, right? In this yeah. book, it's ten. But yeah. my friend Barry's working on like ten ways type of series. He's a, he's a publicist and a writer. Yeah. So he's co-authoring it with me. And it's, yeah, we came up with 10 things that business owners need to do, some of which we talked about, having an operating agreement, you know, making sure that you do things in writing, having a written business plan, all that kind of stuff. And we have some asides. We interviewed some people in the book and it's it's getting there. We're getting a, he actually sent it to me. I have to do some more editing to it and then hopefully we'll get it out by the end of the year. That's awesome. End of the yeah. year. Yeah. So right around, right around the corner. Yeah. So, yeah, so, we'll, so what, what so else won't is be in, the end of the year now that you said yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it, it comes up fast, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Doesn't it? So what else is in there? I mean, I, you know, I don't want to give it all away, but you mentioned a few things. Is there anything else in there? Like what not? Um, it's what it's what not to do, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. how to not get sued. It's yeah, just yeah, a joke. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah there's, there's things in there um, about, you know, employment law and things mm-hmm. to do from an employee standpoint, how to protect your intellectual property. You know, people are out there doing business. Next thing you know, they get a letter, cease and desist. Uh, that they can't use their logo or the name anymore. That happens. Um, so there's that kind of stuff. There's, I have something about a buy-sell agreement because, you know, it's not, there's usually not enough in an operating agreement if a partner dies. So you, as you gr- develop the business, you want it to have in writing. If one of us dies, what happens? If one of us wants to leave the business, get disabled, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's called a buy-sell agreement. It's more of a formal type of agreement. So a lot of it is about putting things in writing and keeping track of things in writing because, and I interviewed a memory expert in the book, actually, mm-hmm. because our memories are terrible. I mean, we're not like there's very few people that have photographic memories. You hear about this stuff on TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really doesn't happen too often. So what the way our minds really work is that we walk around life just collecting stuff in our head and things stick to other things. And, you know, we're, we're sure that we were there and I was with you, Brian, on that day and we did the. And you're like, what are you? I was on vacation with my wife in Hawaii then. And like you were like you, your mind gets very confused. So if you yeah. don't have things in writing signed by the parties, you won't have anything to go back on and say, oh, yeah, well, I guess that's what we agreed to. It's written down. <laughs> and that's what leads to controversy and lawsuits and miscommunications and breakup of businesses and fights all the time because you think you're and maybe you both are wrong. But you're sure this is what we agreed to. And I'm sure this is what we agreed to. And we're sticking by our guns and it leads to a lot of fighting. So yeah, that's how you avoid that. You you make it a habit to put things in writing. It provides clarity, plain and simple. Yeah. You know, like you said, sometimes these things can be 20, 30 years down the road. Exactly. Like, no I don't think gonna... you're the one guy who's going to remember everything. No. I came downstairs this morning and I knew I had a thought in my head and I and immediately went to my office because then to write it down because I'm like, this is not going yes. to maintain. And it was a good thought. Gone. So I wrote it down. But. My kids get on my case. They they want me to do something. I'm like, listen, you got to send me an email. It's not my inbox. When I get in the office. I'm not going to remember it. So, oh. oh, dad, you know, they didn't like that. I said, no. well, then I'm not going to do it. I won't remember. We're very aligned there. My wife will say, you remember we had that conversation? It's not in the calendar. No, it never happened. So Exactly. Well, you know what? After being married for like 25 years, I'm starting to realize that when she says that sometimes, sometimes she's completely wrong. She thinks she had the conversation. We never had the conversation. So, you know, I don't remember, but I always give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Frankly, I don't remember. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm oh. not quite there yet. It's only been uh, 11 years, so I, oh, I can't. So, okay. I, I, she's still always right. Um, and <laughs> somebody somebody probably... told me once when I first got married, I, I had this guy executive out of town, and I called my wife. Something happened. I don't know. I was probably aggravating yeah. her. And he told me, "Listen, I've been married for 40 years. Every day you wake up, you got to decide: are you going to be right, or are you going to be happy? Don't <laughs> choose right." <laughs> we're giving we're also giving sound marriage advice yeah this, exactly this, well, it's for me. Too. you move Being right is not <laughs> worth it <laughs> nope a hundred percent a hundred percent bitch this is great stuff uh great value to the audience uh anything that uh well let's first of all how, how do people get in touch with you what's the best way to get in touch um with you? yeah i'm on linkedin facebook mm-hmm. um my website's buyinghackerlaw.com uh we're redoing some things so the the podcast and the books and the things are going to break out to probably mitchellbinehacker.com um, nice. But there's a, you know, there's a LinkedIn and Facebook page for the podcast, the law practice and me, I'm always available. You can find me. Um, you could also, 
Uh, you can put in the show notes. They could text law to 21,000 is my digital business card. They can get that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and on my website, they can always, you know, schedule a free consultation or something. Nice. They want to talk about well, definitely that all in the show notes. Uh, anything that uh, I didn't ask you that you wanted to, to share any, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Um, no, I don't think so. This is great. I know you're going to come on my podcast. We'll talk about more stuff. I just, yeah. when people are selling things, they're selling a business they're selling real estate, they're doing mm. kind of things, uh, kind of planning, just, just know that there are strategies out there to minimize tax. You don't have to pay the tax, but sometimes it involves some pre-planning. Can't call me in March and say, Hey, can we defer the tax in the building we sold in November last tax year? No, yeah, can't do it. Too late. When should they be calling you then? Before they're probably in contract, but yeah. certainly before they close, we can yeah. salvage it. But you always have to it, think about you know, that, right? The tax yeah. strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Ahead yeah. of time. Ahead Absolutely. Because sometimes it can't be changed if everybody's all in contract already. No, no. Um, and that's, you know, that's huge in business too, especially when you're selling a business. And we didn't even get yep. to that to that point. But I mean, that's a that's a, a major tax event potentially. Yep. So good. No, that's great stuff. Mitch. Great having you on the show. Look forward to being on being on yours. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us today. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of A Better Way with Real Estate Podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you left us a rating and review so we can continue to help you and others navigate the many hurdles of the home buying and selling process. Visit bkwpropertysolutions.com to learn more. And remember, There is a better way with real estate.